Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we continue our study of the second book of Kings, that's Malachim Bet, with chapter 2, Perak Bet. This chapter is a momentous chapter. We read of the end of the career of Eliyahu and the beginning of the career of his pupil, his student, his disciple, Elisha. In the last chapter, we read of the episode of Eliyahu warning the king Ahaziah that because he refused to turn towards God, but rather turned his attention towards an idol, in that case it was the idol of Baal Zavuv, that therefore he was going to die, and that was the end of his career. We also read how Eliyahu um, uh, brought about the death of several groups of soldiers that came to take him to the king. And if you recall, if you, I would recommend listening to the last podcast, the last few podcasts, where I have had somewhat different than many of the commentaries take on the career of Eliyahu. Um, and in this chapter, it's going to kind of the, the culmination of, of, of Eliyahu's active career, which will hopefully give us a little bit of an insight into Eliyahu's future career, the future career of Eliyahu Hanavi, the, um, the Eliyahu Hanavi that we imagine and hope and pray will come one day to herald the coming of Mashiach, the coming of, of the Messiah. Now, Eliyahu, of course, we know is a, is a, is a prophet of immense uh, a greatness, a prophet who, um, who was able to perform these miracles, a prophet who is incredibly zealous and, and uh, uh, almost <coughs> vengeful for the honor of God and could not tolerate the people who... Um, who disobeyed God and who went and, and, and served and worshipped other idols and lived corrupt lives like Ahav <coughs> lived and like his son Ahaziah continued in that same corrupt path. Uh, and I have pointed out that Eliyahu, because of his zeal, because of his tremendous anger towards those who refused to live in the proper path, Eliyahu was really a prophet in in his, in his career, in his lifetime, a prophet of, of doom and gloom, of fire and brimstone, you know, punishing punishing the people by bringing about a drought, by bringing about the uh, burn, the killing of all of the the uh, prophets of Baal at, at Har Carmel, the one who brought about the 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 uh, incineration of several groups of soldiers that came to take him to the king. And in each case, I pointed out, and in the last one, I pointed out at least using the comments of Gersonides, of the Ralbag, uh, who takes an approach that's very different than the others, that in essence what Eliyahu was doing at each of these occasions was missing an important opportunity. That Ahaziah actually sent the soldiers there because Ahaziah had wanted to honor Eliyahu and had thoughts and feelings maybe he could have turned around. But Eliyahu nonetheless responded in anger and, and missed an opportunity to possibly maybe bring Ahaziah a little bit closer to God. Excuse me. And we're going to see, at, at this point, I, I'm going to propose this theory from the beginning, that at least according to Gersonides, according to Rabag, that the, um, and according to my interpretation of these verses, what we're about to read of Eliyahu's going up in a fiery chariot to heaven, as opposed to being a, an honorable thing, 
that is given to a great, great prophet, it is really the way of God removing from the scene in a dishonorable way, to so to speak, someone who has so much potential but keeps on missing the opportunity to work with the people. But someone, and, and I'm going to point out why I say this as we go through the text. I know that's a bold statement, but bear with me. And if you still don't like what I say by the end, <coughs> of course, you have every right to do so. And I'd be very happy to listen to your comments. But over here, what I'm going to propose, that God needed to remove Eliyahu from the scene because he wasn't being effective. There wasn't a single intervention that Eliyahu did that actually made a change in the people he was trying to change, with the perhaps exception of Mount Carmel, which, as we know, when we studied that, that uh, episode together, literally within seconds of Eliyahu's triumph at Har Carmel, he was already on the run and apparently affected nothing in the king's household. And he was already being chased for, 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 for being faithful to God. But over here, uh, so at this point, this is, I'm going to propose, boldly propose, that the reason for Eliyahu's being removed from the scene, so to speak, is because his mission is not complete. Such a great man needs to be preserved because he has so much to contribute, but he's just not doing it. And it was when God was going to take Eliyahu in a whirlwind up to heaven. Eliyahu and Elisha uh, left Gilgal, left the place of Gilgal. Now, um, it was apparently a known thing, as you'll see in these verses, that God was going to take Eliyahu away. And it was known that we're going to learn and we're going to see this from the, from the many different prophets, that, that the, those that were faithful to God. And as we've seen many times, even in the northern kingdom, there were large groups of prophets who were being faithful to God, who were faithful to God. Unfortunately, they just weren't able to influence the, the general thrust of the kingdom was obviously in the much, much worse direction. <coughs> but it was known to them that Eliyahu was going to be removed. It's almost as if they knew that Eliyahu, as their leader, as the leader of the prophets of the time, was simply not being effective in his job. Vayomer Eliyahu, and again, bear with me because I know that's a bold statement, but again, you, let's see if you agree with me or not. Vayomer Eliyahu el Elisha, Eliyahu said to Elisha, Shevna po, stay here. Because God is sending me to Betel. So, and Elio doesn't explain why. However, uh, you know, why, why he doesn't want Elisha coming along. So the commentaries have various explanations as to why not. One of the most common ones is because it, what he's about to see, this episode of Elio going to heaven, is such an incredibly, awesomely powerful spiritual event that maybe Elisha wouldn't be able to handle it. <coughs> However, Al-Bag is a completely different understanding. It's Kadesh Shalom Yecherad Elisha, so that Elisha shouldn't be afraid and become scared and become disheartened by Eliyahu being taken away. <coughs> he didn't want Elisha to see that because Eliyahu being taken away would be such a letdown. To see the master being taken away because he had failed in his mission would be such a letdown. So Eliyahu didn't want Elisha to see that. And it's interesting that Al-Bag also points out that rather than what some understand is that he was, Elio was actually being taken up to heaven in his rationalistic way, which Ralbag is, is often does, is 
he explains that Elio wasn't actually taken to heaven. Only only souls go to heaven. Elio was actually brought above the ground and brought away as a living human being in another place. He was separated from the generation that he was in. And one can only understand that in the context of he was taken away from the generation because he was not being effective with that generation. <coughs> but Elisha said, As God lives and as you live, <coughs> shall I, uh, as, I'm sorry, as shall I leave you, shall I abandon you? In other words, I'm staying right by your side. If that's because if you end up in a place where things, if you end up being taken away from us, I will stand right next to you. I am not going to be afraid because I see what happened to you. So the two of them together went to Beitel. And the the um, the prophet, the prophetic disciples that lived in Beitel, right, went out El Elisha to greet Elisha. This seems like. Um, uh, Elisha on the side, Vayomre love. Apparently, even though Elisha and Elio were together, they must. It sounds like they got Elisha separately. And listen to what they say, Vayomre love. And they said to him, Hayodato ki hayom et Do you know that today God is going to take your master from you? This is absolutely revealing. Why did they refer to Elio as your master? If Elio was the leading prophet of the generation. They refer to him as you, Elisha. You're the one who's learning from him, not us. But these are legitimate prophets. Elio should be leading the prophets. Again, this is another indication of the failure of Elio, not just to lead and be with the people that needed him, that needed his advice, not just his failure to, to engage with the kings in a way that helps lead them in the right way, but his failure to even engage with the prophets that are loyal to God. So that only Elisha is the one who is standing by uh, Eliyahu at this juncture in his life and is being told God is going to take him away. So apparently this was known from, by all the prophets that Eliyahu's career as the leading prophet was about to end. And he says, yes, I know this as well. In other words, I realize that Eliyahu's mission hasn't worked out that well. And therefore, uh, I know, I know that myself. But be silent. Don't talk about it. I get it. But don't talk about it. And one can imagine many reasons why Elisha didn't want them to talk about it. And now somehow Elio and Elisha rejoined each other. And Elio says to Elisha, Elisha, Elio says to Elisha, sit or stay over here. Because God is sending me to Yericho, to Jericho. And again, as God lives and as you live, I shall not abandon you. I shall not leave you. I'm staying at your side. And they came to Yericho. What's all this business of Eliyahu bouncing around from place to place? The commentary struggle to understand what's the purpose of him traveling from Gilgal to Beitel, from Beitel to Yericho. The, the hint to the answer lies in the verses themselves and what happened in these places. Clearly, Eliyahu understood that this, when they would go to, go to Yericho, that's where there was a group of people that were disciples. Eliyahu needed Elisha to see and interact with them to understand what's happening today, what is going on. 
So now they come to Yericho. And again, in Yericho, the same thing. The disciples of the prophets, the ones who should be Eliyahu's students, the, the prophet disciple, the prophetary students, uh, the prophetic disciples that lived in Jericho came to Elisha, they came close to Elisha, again with Elio, <coughs> must have been standing to the side, <coughs> again with the same striking and powerful language, that God is taking your master from you. Again, these disciples, again, referring to Elio as your master. He's taking your master away. You're the one that's been standing by his side. He's taking him away, but he's not our master. It's just astounding. Astoundingly powerful words. And he says again, I know, I know, I know. Don't say anything. <coughs> Don't speak about it. <coughs> Elio said to him, Stay here. God now wants me to go towards the Arden, towards the Jordan. He says the same thing. By God's, as God lives and as you live, I shall not leave you. And the two of them went together. Again, and 50 of these prophetary disciples followed along, followed along as they walked towards the Jordan River to see what's going to happen. But what's going to happen to this great, great, great man, this great, great, great prophet that's having, that's in the situation that he's in. But they stood opposite him from a distance, a distance presumably enough that they could see, uh, but not so close that they would be detected, it sounds like. And the two of them, Eliyahu and Elisha, stood at the Jordan River. And um, Eliyahu took off his mantle, which is some kind of a, like a scarf, uh, something that was over his shoulders. <coughs> um, there it's usually translated to some form of a cloak. By Yiglom, and he rolled it up. So now it's like kind of a rolled up scarf. It's kind of like a, a staff almost. By and with it he strikes the water of the Jordan River. By and the water split. By and the two of them walked through the dryness of the river. The significance of this um, of this um, miracle here. The Leo splitting the water is extremely difficult to understand. What's the point? What is even the point of Leo going to the other side of the river? Right? What is all of this bouncing around, right? We're trying to understand why they're doing all this, going from place to place. But but we don't and we will not ever really be told why was it important and so important that a miracle needed to be performed that Leo should go across the river. And the most obvious thing is simply comes straight from the verses themselves. What is Eliyahu doing here? By demonstrating his miraculous abilities, right? Eliyahu is showing Elisha what his incredible spiritual and awesome spiritual power is. But nonetheless, it failed. So Vayiki Avram, and it was when they were passing through, Eliyahu Omar al-Elisha, and Eliyahu says to Elisha, Sha'alma Eselach, tell me, what can I do for you? Before I am taken from you. Right? So here, Elio is saying, I've shown you, I've demonstrated to you my powers. I've shown you my faithfulness to God. I've taught you so much, so much learning, so much that you need to know. And 
And I've shown you how powerful these, these things have made me, right? So much so that I was able to simply split the sea, split the river by putting my mantle in the water. What is it that you want? What is it that you want from me? Elisha here gives an answer that's strikingly disappointing. That I want to have twice of what you have in your spirit on me. In other words, I want to take your path and take twice your path. Immediately what one has to think is, why didn't Elisha learn? If, if you're understanding this encounter the way I've been explaining this encounter, one will see this as a tremendous failure on the part of Elisha. Why continue in the path of Elio if where it led to is, uh, is to the, a place where Eliyahu is standing now? But as we understand the progression of Elisha's career in the upcoming chapters, and even in the remainder of this chapter, we will understand that Elisha did, unfortunately, seem to make the same mistakes that Eliyahu did. And, and this, is a, this is a contention that I'm making. As we learn through these verses, we will maybe have a better understanding of it. So he answered him and says, you've asked for something very difficult. Now the standard commentaries that don't explain it the way I've just explained it, which as I mentioned to you, it was based on the, the comments of Ralbag of Gersanides. And I'm not claiming that Gersanides says all the points that I've made, but I'm using him as a basis for what, for, for, for what I've been developing. Is the standard understanding is you're asking for something very difficult. Like Rashi says, how can you ask me for twice what I have? I, I, I don't have the power to give you something that I myself don't have. And other similar ways of understanding this, but the way I understand this, following from the meanings of the verse themselves, by Yomar you're asking something that's very, you're asking something difficult. Difficult, kashet, something difficult, something challenging, because it's wrong, Right? However, if you see me taken away, if you are able to watch and remain strong while you see that happen, then, fine, you can go ahead and take that power. But if you don't, right? And the simple way of, 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 that the commentaries usually understand this is if you have the great holiness to see this incredibly holy sight and not become harmed by it, of me being taken by a fiery chariot up to the heavens, <coughs> then you have the spiritual power to have twice my spiritual power. However, the way I'm understanding this is very different. In that Elio almost sees the failure of Elisha to get the point. And... He says, if you can watch and see this happen, and this is still what you're asking for, then fine. That's what you'll have. You'll have that power. Maybe, maybe with more awesome spiritual power, maybe you can accomplish even more. Maybe you can do what I wasn't able to do. I did all kinds of things and didn't accomplish what I was, what I was supposed to. I was able to bring fire from heaven and on Mount Carmel. I was able to uh, uh, do all kinds of, uh, of, of miracles. I was able to uh, destroy the men that came to take me away. I was able to stand in front of kings and speak truth to power, so to speak. But maybe if, if it's really true that you can see that and still think that message, then maybe you can have twice as much power as me. And maybe you will accomplish it. 
because Elio himself is thinking now maybe he's just not powerful enough. Maybe he hasn't yet learned that lesson. By he him so so, um, but however, if you if you can't, in other words, if you watch me and say to yourself, that was the wrong approach, that was the wrong path. Well, then maybe you'll go back to those other prophets that we passed and join them and maybe lead them and work with them and stay in the northern kingdom and go back to the king's house and work in the palace like Ovadia did and work in the palace like Michayahu did, like all of those other prophets that, that tried and worked within the system and did accomplish things and did achieve things like we saw Ovadiahu did, managed to save the lives of the, of the prophets of God which Eliyahu wasn't able to do because he wasn't there. Verse 11, And it was as they were walking and talking to each other at this point, suddenly, a, a fiery chariot, and fiery horses appeared by Afridu and they got between the two of them so they were separated in the, in the bedlam and Eliyahu went up in a whirlwind Towards the heavens, the Elisha Roa and Elisha saw this all happen. So Elio be carried away in a in a tornado, so to speak. and he was crying out, "Avi, Avi, my father, my father, Rechav Yisrael, the rider, the the Rechav, the one upon whom the people of Israel rode, right, the chariot of Israel, Ufarashav, and and his um and his riders." So because of the image that they saw was the image of a chariot and horses, he of course chose to, to describe Eliyahu as the, the chariot of Israel and, and the one who carried upon himself the burden of all the troubles of Israel. And he no longer saw his master. And he grabbed his clothing. And he tore his clothing twice apart. And he immediately took, he picked up the cloak that Eliyahu had left on the ground, that I'm sorry, that had fallen from Eliyahu on the ground um, during this, the, this tumultuous uh, tornado that had appeared. And then he went back and he went back to the, to the, to the edge of the Jordan River. And he took the mantle of Eliyahu, that had fallen from Elio, and he struck the water. Because now he was on the other side of the Jordan. And he said, Where is God, the God of Elio? This is a fascinating question that Elisha is asking. Devastated by the loss of his master, by the loss of his dear teacher, the first question he asks is what we all ask when we're stuck by, struck by tragedy. Where is God in this tragedy? How could this be that my master is taken away? This is another demonstration that, that, that leads me to explain these verses in ways that many of the other commentaries don't. Many understood this as being an incredibly holy sight. But that's not how Elisha, the sight of Eliyahu rising to heaven in a fiery chariot. This was anything but an incredibly holy sight to Elisha who was standing there. This was a tragic horrific tragedy uh, in his mind he just saw the end of the existence of his dear master the first thing he does is cry out where are you God how could you do such a thing how could you take him away Afu, right so then he immediately he also struck the water 
And there was a sign from God when God split the waters again, here and there to both sides. And Elisha went back and returned to the other side of the Jordan, where the other Nevi'im were waiting for him to greet him. And we'll continue with the next podcast um, from the beginning of Elisha's career, what his career looked like when uh, no, his teacher was no longer with him. And I deeply want to point out to you that my understanding of the failure of Eliyahu in no way, God forbid, is meant to take away from the honor of this great, great, great prophet in our history. In fact, I would like to propose that understanding Eliyahu's mistakes as they were presented in the preceding chapters that we studied Eliyahu's life together, we can fully understand and appreciate why it is Specifically, Eliyahu. Eliyahu, who is, so to speak, condemned to living on and on and on, right? In order to learn the lesson that what brings redemption, what brings redemption is exactly as Malachi, Malachi, the final prophet, in the final words, brings Eliyahu back. And how does he bring Eliyahu back? By showing how Eliyahu will then, this great, great man of spiritual, spiritual height and strength and abilities, and, 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 and connection to God uh, rivaled possibly only by Moshe Rabbeinu, by Moses. Elio understands that, gets that, and learns that throughout all the history that, that succeeded the time of Elio until the future day of redemption. And what does Elio do? And I would like to read these verses from Malachi. Uh, that's the third chapter of Malachi, um, or Malachi, chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. What's going to happen in the future? I am going to send for you at Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. <coughs> Before the <coughs> day of God, the awesome, fearsome day of God. Lifne meaning in order to prevent that from happening, the fearsome, awesome suffering that may happen in the future, I'm going to send Eliyahu to make sure that doesn't happen. Because what is he going to do? He is going to bring peace in families. He's going to bring peace between parents and their children. And peace between children and their parents. Eliyahu is going to learn exactly the lesson that God was trying to teach him when he said, I'm not in in the wind. I'm not in the fire. All of those miracles that you performed, that's not me. Where am I? I'm in the spirit. I'm in the ruach. I'm in the spirit of of, truth. working with people, of bringing peace among people. Because if Elio doesn't, then I will come and destroy the land. That's what Elio is coming to do. He's coming to prevent me from destroying the land. He's coming to bring peace among people so that the ultimate redemption can come to pass. Those, the final words, the final words of the final prophet, Malachi, the last prophet to speak in Tanakh, brings Eliyahu back and says the ultimate bottom line is that Eliyahu will get the lesson and Eliyahu will be the one that brings the peace because Eliyahu was the one that brought about destruction. And destruction didn't help. It didn't do anything. Miracles didn't help. didn't do anything. All of the signs and greatnesses accomplished absolutely nothing. I, 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 you know, the, the bottom line of what we're learning from Eliyahu is that all of this fancy stuff all of this fire and brimstone goes nowhere. What goes somewhere? 
is bringing people's hearts together, staying with the people, working with the people. This ends the career of Elio, which over here, Elio's first iteration, Elio, Elio 1, Elio 2, Elijah number 2, is the Elijah that learns the lesson of his life and comes back and shows us the lessons that he learned and thereby bring there about thereby brings about the ultimate redemption now that we've completed the career of this remarkable prophet eliyahu we're about to read the, about the career of an, his remarkable disciple elisha and we will see if elisha will continue in the same mistakes as eliyahu preceded him or not and we will see what kind of success elisha will have as we study these upcoming chapters Thank you so much for studying this together with me. Looking forward to studying the rest of this chapter and, of course, the rest of this book of Kings together. Have a wonderful day.